Amen. Y'all may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for us being able to worship you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to meet and to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that we pray that our worship will be worthy to you, that it would uplift and glorify your true and holy name. Lord, we just pray for Big Laurel Mennonite Church. Lord, that you would be with them in their services this morning. Lord, that you would give their pastor the ability to stand in front of the congregation and to proclaim your word. Lord, we just also pray for Grace Reformed Church in Mebane. Lord, Pastor Stu and Stephen and Michael and Joseph. Lord, that you would be with them. Thank you for them being close as pastors with Pastor Scott. And thank you for them being a sister church within the RB network. Lord, we just thank you for their encouragement during past times of difficulty. Lord, we thank you for their friendship. Lord, we thank you for just their congregation also. Lord, we pray for persecuted churches all over our nation and country and our whole, the whole world. Lord, we pray for the church in Saudi Arabia. Lord, that you would help Muslims to come to faith in you. Lord, be with the missionaries that are there that are standing on your word and be with the natives that have been converted to the one and only true living God, that they, whether they're underground churches or not, that they would proclaim your word to family and to others in spite of persecution. Lord, we know it's real. Lord, we pray for them. And also, we just pray for the people of Bamang of China, Lord, that you would send translators that they can have the word of God in their own native tongue. Lord, I take it for granted that we have so many Bibles here in America that they're readily available. Lord, we just pray for your work to be done upon, among these people in China. And Lord, we want to pray for people in Sudan and other places that are not as fortunate as we are with maybe even running water. Lord, we just pray that you will give enough food for the little children to eat, that they may not go hungry. Lord, we pray for the war in Ukraine, that you would make a cease to it. Lord, whatever work that you're working through it, Lord, that you would be glorified. And Lord, we just pray for sinners and lost people to come to a conviction that you are their God, that you could save them, that no matter in war that they have a heavenly Father, that will protect them. Lord, we just also pray for the ones that are grieving. We pray for Carl Witherspoon as he has lost his wife, Grace, after many years of marriage. Lord, if he's weak and heavy laden, Lord, we just pray that you'll encourage him. And any others that may have lost loved ones here recently or in the past or may have been mom or dad's or family member's birthday, Lord, that you would just bring sweet memories and Lord, we pray that they are in heaven. 
And Lord, we just also pray for Ellie and Sarah as they're expecting. And Lord, we just pray for those little babies in the womb. And what a beautiful and wonderful creator you are to form us and to fashion us inside of our mother's wombs. Lord, keep them healthy and keep them until they're ready to be arrived and then delivered. And just, Lord, just have your hand upon them. Lord, we also want to pray for the ones that are healing after surgeries for Danny Richardson and also for uh, Miss Lisa Lemire. Lord, that you would just be with them. Lord, help her spot to heal up and that it'll uh, just close up well and that the stitches may come out on the 20th. Lord, we pray for David that he'll be able to help take care of her. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, Dean Mundy also. Lord, we pray for him as Miss Dot's son is uh, healing from, uh, as he has Bell's palsy. Lord, just be with him and help his eyes as you have continued to do so. And Lord, John Cordy and his esophageal cancer. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, but we have so much to pray for also. Lord, we pray for Christina Graybill, Lord, that you would just be with her and Paul and Madison and their boy. Lord, that we just thank you for good results thus far. And Lord, we pray that they will continually look to you. Lord, we thank you for Miss Kitty's healing and we pray for her shoulder and that it will heal on its own and have no surgery later on. Lord, that we know that you hear our prayers and we do thank you for her attendance and Lord, we pray for the poison ivy and as she did say that it is from the pits of hell. Lord, we just pray for it to re relax more and to recede. And Lord, we just praise your great and holy name. Lord, we pray for Kelsey, Amy Schwartz's sister, as she has cancer. We pray for just your hand of protection upon that family also. Lord, missionaries Trevor Johnson and his family and members of the gathering that are in transition and looking to move elsewhere, that you would lead God and direct them, and may they follow your word and your word alone. Lord, we pray for Pastor Tim Bullington at Christ Alone. Lord, that you would be with his heart, that you would strengthen it, be with his wife, and help her remain in good health. We just pray that you will be glorified through the preaching of his word and this morning also. Lord, we thank you for Johnny Day and Christina, Christiana Smith. Lord, that you would be with their fevers and help them to recede and to be back to normal and to feeling better. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. Amen. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 18. And if you would, stand as we read the word of the Lord. In Genesis 18, verses 1 through 21, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and beheld, behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant." Let a little water be brought and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. 
since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And uh, the, verse 10, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the man set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that was come to me, and if not, I will know. This is God's word, and you may be seated. So we have three points this morning through these short 21 verses of showing hospitality in verses 1 through eight. In verse one, it says that, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. What had previously happened in chapter 17 that Pastor Scott pointed out to us? The circumcision of all of his household. We don't know of how much time has passed in between chapter 17 and chapter 18, but it says that it was in the heat of the day, and he's sitting by the door of his tent. For you males, imagine being circumcised in the dead of summer with no modern medical conveniences, and it's hot. Think of yesterday and Friday and the heat and the humidity to where it just sticks to you. Now imagine being in pain. So if you're like me, you're just imagining that it would not be comfortable and Abraham is probably pretty miserable feeling. Not only Abraham, but also the rest of his household. 
and his servants and the ones that are with him. But he is here at uh, the Oaks of Mamre in Hebron where the Lord had led him in chapter 13. And so he is here by the Oaks. And in Hosea 4.13, it says, Under oak and poplar and terebinth, because their shade is good. Moses is trying to, uh, sorry, Abraham is trying to cool off. But notice that it said the Lord appeared to him. How many times can we think of reading back through the book of Genesis that the Lord has appeared to Abraham? Back in chapter 12 and verse 7, it reads, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, or sorry, Abram, and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then also we see here in chapter 18 and verse 1, By the oaks of Mamre, the Lord appeared to him. So, Abraham has had an, a conversation, a walk with the Lord. And what a thing of excitement that that would be for us, but also for him. So, think about this. In the heat of the day, he's sitting there, and uh, think of it as a custom that he's, a habit that he's used to. Sitting during the hottest part of the day, outside your tent, maybe you're near a highway, and you see people walking. Verse 2, it says that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Have you ever seen company coming? What's your first thought? Get the house clean? Oh my, what a such a bad time is this? Right now, we're all sore from being circumcised? This is not the time for company. But Abraham didn't say that. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. He was excited, wasn't he? You think about it. They didn't have the modern technology of where we can keep in touch with everybody at the click of a button. They probably didn't write many letters either. Paper wasn't as easy to get. So when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to them. So he is showing respect. It doesn't say what these travelers were wearing. They could have been in nice clothes. They could have been in rags. But notice what he says here. In verse 3, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. O Lord, do not pass by. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Abraham had probably offered this to many other travelers. It was a custom to 
travel and when you've seen someone and they's there at their house or their tent, they would stop by and you would offer them your food. You would offer them your hospitality because it was in the heat of the day. And then they'd sit and commune and talk and eat and rest. Think about that in verse 4. It says, let a water be brought and wash your feet. What a beautiful picture, even in the New Testament, that the foot washing was. But let a little bit of water be brought and wash your feet. And this is the first time I do believe that the washing of feet has been pictured, has been seen in the Bible. But you think of the refreshment that that would be for some water to have the dust wiped off of your feet. And most likely it was always the master of the home, the leader of the family, the owner of the property that fulfilled the washing of the feet. They wore the sandals, so everything was always dirty. In dusty roads, there wasn't no pavement, no wash stone, no crusher run. There was thorn and thistle and briars and dust, so it's dirty, right? Abraham ain't saying, you know, wash your feet before you come inside. Take off your shoes before you come inside. He said, let me humble myself and wash your feet that you may relax. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 44, it says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, talking about Jesus, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In John 13, 14, it says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So it was a refreshing, and it was by the master of the house, the, uh, the main owner that load, led the home that would wash the feet. And so we can see with this first mention that it is mentioned throughout the rest of the Bible of washing feet. But it says that you rest yourselves under the tree here in verse 4. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on. Rest a little while. I don't know about you, but I need rest. And sometimes that's hard for men to admit. Sometimes that's hard for ladies to admit, but we all need rest. And what better day than on the Lord's day? We all, a lot, like bread. Bread was a staple back then. It was easy and available to get. But he said, let me bring you a morsel of bread. In Psalm 104, it says, bread is to strengthen man's heart. So, Abraham's saying, let me help you. Rest a little while. Take a load off. While I bring a morsel of of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. And they said, okay, go do as you have said. Do you think Abraham was just trying to make a mouthful and say, 
you know, make them feel really welcomed, and then he expect them to say, no, nah, that's okay, we don't need it. They took him up on his offer, didn't they? They said, well, go do it. Can you see Abraham's hospitality to these three men? Verse 6, and it says, Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Now, I want to say this, that hospitality is not just to the ladies. When he says in verse 6, he told Sarah to quickly make them food. Because look in verse 7 at what Abraham did. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. He picked it out, hand-picked veal. Veal. A calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who quickly prepared it. The choicest of meat. And you can pick out your favorite cut of meat that you want and throw it in there. Abraham picked out the best for these three men. He didn't hold back his hospitality. This is mine. I'm giving it to you. Take and eat. Then he made curds of milk and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them and stood by them under the tree while they ate. I don't know about you, but... Have you ever had someone stand near you while you're trying to eat and they're not eating? It can kind of be of a nuisance, kidding it? But it was the custom of back then, it was their hospitality, that if they needed more milk, he was there to give them more milk. If they wanted more meat, he could give them more meat. If they needed more water, they could have more water. He was being their servant. And so the hospitality of Abraham is huge. It is simple also but he was the host in chapter 13 of hebrews in verse 2 it says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware in our second point the son of promise in verses 9 through 15. They, talking about the three men, said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? Notice that they called her Sarah, not Sarah. They didn't call her by her old name. They called her by her new name that the Lord gave her. Only their family and the ones that was close to them would have known of this. How would three strangers know the name of Abraham's wife except one of them be the Lord? How? It's not possible because it was one of them was the Lord. They knew her name was changed to Sarah. They know. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? They didn't say what's her name. Where's your wife? They called the wife by name. And he said, she is in the tent. Most likely, Sarah had her own tent also. 
Look back up to verse 6. And he went into the tent to Sarah and said, and then we can also see in verse 10 that Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. There's also another point that makes people believe that Sarah had her own tent, as in when Isaac in Genesis 24 and verse 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent in 18, uh, in verse 1, and then Sarah was in her tent, most likely not visible. Hence the question, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, she is in the tent. In verse 10, it says, the Lord said, all capital letters, the Yahweh, the Jehovah God, the covenant God of Israel, the Lord said. So here, one of these three men is the Lord. He made a face-to-face appearance. As it said, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And here he is having the great opportunity to be hospitable unto the Lord. I don't even understand all this of how I can't wrap my mind around it. But of all the appearances of the Lord in the Bible has been miraculous. You think of when Saul was converted in Acts chapter 9. Or you think of Mount Sinai when it was thunderings and lightnings and the voice of the Lord spoke. And now here somehow that the Lord manifests himself in front of Abraham. I don't understand it all. But I believe it. He says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. You think of all the I wills and the I am's in scripture. I am that I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. He even told Moses, I am that I am. But you think of the I wills. They are for sure. They are promises. I will. If you tell someone, I will be there at 730, you better be there at 725. That way you're there by 730. If not, you're breaking your promise. If not, you're not holding yourself accountable to your own word. Notice this. He said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. In verse 10, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Once again, we see that God is promising his covenant promise with Abraham and Sarah. Here Abraham is sitting in the heat of the day and it's hot. He's just been circumcised thinking, oh my goodness, what kind of covenant have I entered into? But here the Lord is present reassuring of his promises. You think of all the times that God said, I will, in the book of Genesis, I mean, in uh, the creation. 
on this day. So God's word is sure. God doesn't break his promises. So notice that in verse 9 it says, Where is Sarah, your wife? Now picture this. They're saying it loud enough for Sarah to hear. They want Sarah to hear this reassuring promise also. Where is Sarah, your wife? She is in the tent. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. I know I keep repeating this self, this, but, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Look at the end of verse 10. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. That's what they wanted. That's why they said it loud enough for Sarah to hear. Sarah was listening in the back at the tent. Have you ever heard your name in conversation and be like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about? You know, where they say curiosity got the cat. You know, you want to hear what they're talking about, don't you? The Lord knows human nature. And so he said it loud enough. In verse 11, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. 89 and 99 years old. By the time Isaac's ready to be born, 90 and 100. The Bible has said it, so I can say it. That's old to be having children. They were old and well advanced in years, but... What's the response of Sarah? So, in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Yeah, yeah, right. Sarah still doesn't believe. Sarah is still earthly and carnal and doesn't believe the words of the Lord. She has heard them with her own ears from the mouth of the Lord. Can you picture that this morning? She said, Shall I, when the Lord said, I will. She is laughing. To herself, that means she laughed to herself with inside, not a voice muttered out, not an audible sound. It's kind of like, you know, how we go, all right. That's exactly what Sarah did. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19, it says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before for you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The Lord is being very merciful with Abraham and Sarah. In verse 13, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? The Lord is calling them out, isn't he? Abraham, why did she do that? Have you ever had to answer for your wife? 
Can you feel the pressure of realizing, knowing that this is the Lord, the one that has made all these promises with you and for you and for your generations ahead of you? And he's asking you a question this heavy. Why did your wife do that? Uh, well, uh, well, uh, can you just picture it? Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Remember, she said it within herself, to herself. And he quoted the exact same thing as in verse 12 of what Sarah said. So there we go to see that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. If he knows the inner thoughts of Sarah, he knows the inner thoughts of us. If he knows the inner thoughts of Abraham and the rest of people in times past, what's to make us think that he don't know the inner thoughts of us? Is there nothing too, is there anything too hard for the Lord? So also we see that in, he knew Sarah's name changed from Sarai to Sarah. No one else knew about it, just Abraham's household and his servants and the ones that were around them. But the Lord knew Sarah. In verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's still him speaking for the Lord. Is anything too hard? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Once again, Sarah says, shall I? But the Lord says, I will. There is doubt in Sarah's mind. As there's much doubt a lot of times in our minds today. But the Lord said, I will. The Lord is good and righteous. And just. The Lord is saying that there's a promise. The next time he will return is with the performance. By that I mean that Isaac will be born. Abraham's household and his servants. Wrong spot. So when Jesus, the, when the Lord returns again, it is at the birth of Isaac through the birth of Isaac, showing that the word of the Lord was true, showing that the Lord was meaning that he will, showing that the Lord does not break his promises. I bet Abraham went to the wall and wrote down whatever day that it was. However, they marked or kept up with time. They were smart. And I guarantee you it was to the year, to the day, because it was the word of the Lord. We can ask ourselves, is anything too hard for the Lord? In our prayer this morning, we've prayed for people that were lost. We prayed for people that were sick with cancer. We prayed for people for healing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But Sarah denied it in verse 15, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Have you ever been afraid of the Lord? Have you ever maybe been reading scripture and realized, man, the conviction upon my soul? Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Sarah was afraid. Sarah is being audible now. Sarah is defending herself. 
So God knows everything about us. It's vain for us to try to hide anything from God because he knows our thoughts. Have we ever tried to hide something, hid something from the Lord? Have we, in times past, as parents or remember as children, trying to hide something from your parents? It might have worked for a little while, but guess what? They eventually found it. The Lord is not a Lord in darkness. He knows all things. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He is all-knowing. But we see that He even knows our inner sins. The ones that we commit and no one else sees. He knows them. So why are we harboring them this morning? Why are we keeping them upon ourselves and making our burden more heavy? Remember, he's the Lord that hears and he's the Lord that sees. There's nothing too hard for him that he cannot handle. Sarah was afraid in verse 15. She said, I didn't laugh. What did Sarah just do? She lied. She lied. Who did she lie to? She lied unto the Lord. You think back in the Old Testament of when Uzziah put his hand against the ox cart just to keep it from the, the, the covenant of the ark from falling off and he was struck down for touching the covenant. Why didn't the Lord knock down Sarah for lying to the Lord? Because she was within that covenantal promise. The Lord had a work for Sarah to do and it was through her that the many generations and the many nations would be blessed. If the Lord struck down Sarah, it would make his promise null and void. But look what he said. No. In verse 15, no, but you did laugh. Simple, but convicting and to the point. The Lord didn't beat around the bush. He told her like it was. No, Sarah, but you did laugh. Just imagine, their backs is still to Sarah, and this conversation is going on, and he might have turned around at that time and said, no, but you did laugh. Imagine the guilt that Sarah may have felt. She was afraid, but the Lord answered, no. You were wrong, Sarah. You did laugh. So with Sarah telling a lie, it's easier to tell a lie than the truth sometimes, isn't it? But guess what? They keep building upon each other. Parents will say, I don't care how big of it is. Just tell me the truth. I don't care. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it says, These are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. 
Proverbs 12, 19, it says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So lies, they scar our consciences. They dishonor God. They bring disgrace to His name. God exposes lies within ourselves, and guess what? He corrects them. So why would we want to harbor them in our hearts and not let Him know? We think we can hide them? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If we're harboring something, lies or stealing or deceit, within our hearts, we are in sin. And we are called to repent of that sin. It doesn't matter that if we're afraid. We are to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. God already knows. So why are you trying to hold on to it? As Brother Brandon said in our call to worship, with our confession of sin and the assurance of pardon, there is those for a reason, so that you may get rid of that and that you may worship the Lord freely. That you may worship the Lord with a lifted spirit. Have we ever tried to hold on to something that doesn't need to be held on to? Psalm 120, verse 2, it says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. So we must ask for that forgiveness and confess our sin. Because God already knows. I'm telling you, it's not a question. He does. The God who knew Sarah's thoughts is the God who promised to open her womb. And the rebuke of the Lord was successful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Praise the Lord. So with her, Sarah must have repented and surrendered to the Lord because the Lord went on with his promises. Isaac was born, and many generations has passed. Also, with the omniscience of God, we can look back in Genesis chapter uh, 20, we can look forward to 21 when later on that God sees Hagar, Hagar and Ishmael in the desert and he hears and he sees them but also God saw Sarah's inner thoughts. So our confession of faith with God's divine providence says that God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom upholds, he directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and, all, and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. He had mercy on Sarah, didn't He? The simple words, no, but you did, Sarah. Can you think of a child that has done wrong and you just look at him and say, no, this is right. That is wrong. Even a co-worker or someone here at church and say, no. It was correcting. 
with our last point in verses 16 through 21 where they head towards Sodom. It says in verse 16, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if, if not, I will know. In verse 16, and that the, they had a business to do, didn't they? They were on a mission. They were traveling. They were going somewhere. Stop number one was to reassure the covenantal promise with Abraham and Sarah. the face-to-face -face relationship with the Lord. And their second business is that they were to set an eye upon the sinful, wicked inhabitants of Sodom. They went down towards it to see if the judgment was due to such a vile and wicked group of people. Now it says that in verse 16, and it says, And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Abraham walked with them. They got up and left the shade tree from the oaks of Mamre, and they started walking on down whichever way it was that headed towards Sodom. And Abraham's walking with them. He didn't let his pain bother him. He didn't let his heat of the day keep him from being hospitable still to these three men. What's your custom of when someone leaves your house? What do you do? Do you stay sat down wherever you're at, looking at your phone or reading or your book? And bye. Be careful. No, most time there's a handshake. Most time there's a hug. Most time there's a salutation. Most time there's a thank you, see you later, I appreciate you coming. And then there's some that will even walk them to the door. Not as in a hateful way like get out of my house, walk him to the door. But open the door for them. Let them exit. Follow them out on the porch. Walk them with them to their car. I remember of a story of where this lady that would walk her guests out and she would stand on her porch and she would wave and keep waving until they were in sight no more. And she would yell by the whole time. Want nothing mean, want nothing rude, but that was her custom. But Abraham is walking with them to get more of their holy presence, to get more of their knowledge and wisdom. Maybe Abraham's wanting more conversation with the Lord. Notice how in verse 17 it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Who's he talking to? Maybe he's talking to the other two people. Maybe he's talking only to himself. 
as in a conversation with himself, that is not a bad thing. Have you ever asked yourself a question? I have. And they always say that it's bad when you answer your own questions or you talk back with yourself. We're not too sure of who the Lord is asking this question to. But he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Verse 19, Abraham was a teacher in his own home to his servants, to his children. Also, do you not remember of when Abraham and Lot had to separate ways? Where did Lot go? Sodom. The Lord cares for his own. He is saying, do you think I should tell him? Look, he remembers. The Lord knows that Lot is in Sodom. And we'll look at that next week. And the pleas of Abraham unto the Lord for the righteous' sake. Lot chose to go towards Sodom in chapter 13 and verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Their outcry was great, it said in verse 20, because Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Remember, sin is an abomination unto the Lord, a lying tongue. Uh, I will go down in verse 21 to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. How can the Lord not know? Is, are we contradicting ourselves here in verse 21? No, the Lord already knows. And so iniquity cries out of Sodom. Iniquity, sin, is crying out against the great and terrible sin that's going on in Sodom. It was so provoking that it urged God to punish the inhabitants. But notice that the Lord goes to investigate. He's not taking it upon someone else's word. He is going himself to Sodom. He's a just God, and, his, and God's judgments are from an eternal counsel. They are never rash or sudden. You know, you've kind of got two sides of the fence. You've got people that think about every single little thing, very detail-oriented, and that's fine. And then you've got the opposite side that's just, woohoo, let's go do whatever. But he is figuring it out that, no, it's not rash or it's sudden. It's planned. It's according to his will. 
But he never punishes someone upon the report of someone else, but acts only according to his own and certain infallible knowledge because he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, and he is all-knowing. So the Lord goes down. I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. He's not a Lord of the darkness. He is a God in control. If we're harboring sin and lies within our hearts this morning, what's stopping us from repenting of it and giving them to the Lord? Why would we want to hold on to him when he is so patient and kind with Sarah who had that disbelief because of her being afraid? And he says, no, Sarah, but you did. You said you didn't do this, but the Lord knows. You thought it was quietly, but I heard it, said the Lord. The same is going on for us. He knows our inner thoughts. He knows if we're sitting here just thinking, please, will the service be over? He is thinking that how hard it is for us to get up sometimes. He understands of what we do. Sorry, he sees what we do. We can hide nothing from the Lord. If we come on Sunday mornings and we say slap a smile on the face, he knows our inner thoughts. If we're having a hard time with one another, with why don't we tell one another is what I'm trying to say. Pray for me in this. I need help. Pray for me with this. I need more prayer. Pray for me. Pray for my loved ones, for the conviction of the Lord to be upon them, that they would turn to him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah definitely had her doubts, didn't she? She said, I'm too old. She laughed. She said, there's no way. She called Abraham her Lord. My Lord is old. She said, my husband's old. That ain't going to work. Shall I have pleasure? But the Lord said to Abraham, why did she laugh? The Lord knows all things, and he is able to handle all things. Think of how many times that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis that Abraham is reassuring his covenantal promise with the birth of Isaac and that many nations will come from Abraham's loins. Abraham and Sarah was doubting. Abraham and Sarah needed constant approval, constant uh, reassurance. And right here is another way that the Lord was showing them he is in control by telling them that he had their inner thoughts in his hand and that he was in control of it. As we prepare to go into a time of reflection and prayer, what do we need to confess of our inner thoughts? Only you and the Lord know. What do we need to turn over to the Lord so that he will mercifully and righteously lead us? That we may take a walk closer with him as Abraham has done. 
that we can be encouraged and led by the Lord who knows all things.